But I tried harder Vietnamese, phrase book and listening, uh, listening to material for a few weeks and stuff. But still, in Vietnam, it was unusable. Hi there, Steve Kaufman here. Today I want to talk about language immersion and travel and how that affects language learning. Uh, remember, if you enjoy these videos, please subscribe, click on the bell for notification. Uh, and if you're listening on a podcast, uh, whichever podcast it is, please leave a review. I do appreciate it. Uh, also, I decided today, you know, I always have my door closed uh, and people are interested in my book collection and sometimes in behind me, I also have my CD collection, uh, which no longer is relevant because you can download so much audio content from uh, the internet. But there was a period when I would be, you know, I'd go to Riga, Latvia to buy Russian CDs. I would buy Swedish CDs in Sweden and Chinese CDs in Beijing and, and, and Czech CDs in Prague and so forth. Uh, whenever I traveled, one of my goals was to stock up on books or, or CDs that weren't available at home so that I can then go and listen and read and I'd have, you know, available reading material that was also available in audio format. All of that has changed now because we can get digital content uh, to read, import into link, uh, look up words and phrases, and we can get the audio content, which we can download and we can merge with it. So there's so many more ways to get that contact with the language. But getting back to my door being open, uh, sometimes people comment on my books. I just wanted to show you that there are bookshelves in the next sort of area, corridor area. There's a guest bedroom over there that's got more books in it. Downstairs, there are four more bookshelves with books on various subjects. So books are a big part of my life, always have been. I enjoy going back and discovering old friends and books are also a part of sort of immersing oneself in the language. I also do read in English, but if I'm reading in a foreign language, I've always found that reading a book is just, it's just getting that language in you. It's just immersing yourself in the language. And, and uh, audio books do that and books that we read do that because actually to improve in the language, you just have to get it in you, expose yourself to it. Now, obviously a great way to immerse yourself in the language is to go to the country where the language or to a country where the language is spoken. And how does that best work? Well, my experience has been that to take full advantage of doing that, you have to have a certain level. I would almost say like a B1 on the European scale. You have to have put in at least six, three to six months with the language so that you can take advantage of being in the country where the language is spoken. So you can actually immerse yourself in the language. So let's take the example of a, lang of a country where I, uh, you know, I, I visited and had no language preparation, let's say, or minimal. So that would be say in my recent travels, Myanmar and Vietnam. So I tried, I bought a little book on learning Burmese and I had essentially nothing. Uh, and, and I came away with the, uh, gosh, I can't even remember it, uh, the word for thank you and hello, but that was about it. But I tried harder Vietnamese, phrase book and listening, uh, listening to material for a few weeks and stuff. But still, in Vietnam, it was unusable. Uh, I could use my phone to dictate something in English and out comes the Vietnamese and show it to the person, but essentially it was not enough. And so being in Vietnam, listening to Vietnamese on television or being surrounded by people speaking Vietnamese essentially 
did nothing for me. I would have been better off staying at home and listening to material for which I had some text, maybe beginner material, even phrase books, hearing them over and over again in sort of a concentrated fashion. Being in the country didn't do anything for me. Okay, now let's step up a bit and let's go, for example, no, and I could add to that uh, Israel. When I visited Israel, I had even put more effort into my Hebrew and it was hopeless. I just wasn't at a level where I could use it or take advantage of the Hebrew around me. And in Israel, you can speak. If it, if it isn't Russian, first of all, English. And if they don't speak English, they'll speak Russian. And in some cases, they speak French. So there was no need to use Hebrew. It only became a problem when I was trying to get my car out of a parking garage and all the instructions were only in Hebrew and I was lost. I had to ask someone, but not in Hebrew. I had to ask them in English or in Russian or something. So that was Hebrew. Uh, and then, of course, from Israel, I went into Jordan, where, again, I didn't have Arabic, but if I went there now, I would be better off. I could perhaps take advantage. Even though I learned standard Arabic, I would be picking up on some things from their, I guess, Jordan, Jordanian, or Levantine Arabic. So that's better. Uh, before going to Romania and before going to Greece, I put quite a bit of time. Uh, Romanian, of course, is a lot easier than Greek because Romanian is written with the Latin alphabet. Romanian is 70% identifiable, very similar to other Romance languages, in particular Italian. Uh, has some 20% Slavic type words in it. Uh, so it's a lot easier. So two months of Romanian was, you know, helped me a lot. And I was able to organize in Romania. First of all, I met with, we do business in Romania. So I met with people there who didn't, some would either humor me in Romanian, because they thought it was kind of strange that, a, a, you know, a Canadian was learning Romanian and they were very kind and humor me. Or I rented a car and for five euro a day in Romania, when I went there three, four years ago, uh, you got a driver. So I, I didn't want to be driving in Romania and, and run into a horse-drawn cart or something. And I had a driver for five euros a day. For five euros a day, I had a driver, a guide, and a teacher. So we spoke Romanian for five, six hours a day as I drove around the countryside. That was wonderful. In Greece, in Crete, which is where we were, I had enough Greek that I could actually speak to people. I could speak to people in restaurants. Not a lot. I couldn't engage in profound conversations, but I was able to kind of take advantage of being there. But it wasn't, I, I wouldn't say that my Greek improved tremendously uh, just by being there because I didn't have enough of it. And Greek is more difficult because there are fewer, you know, recognizable, you know, cognates if you want. So it wasn't enough to really immerse myself to really take advantage. Now let's go to some other languages where I have combined learning with then going to the country. So uh, Czech, I spent a lot of time with Czech. Czech was, you know, I did Czech after Russian. Oh, I did go to Russia after my, you know, exposure to Russian. I went to Russia and I had uh, link members there that I met up with in St. Petersburg and in Moscow. And I communicated with, I, I stayed in these converted communal flats. And so I communicated with, with uh, the lady, you know, the heavy set lady that ran those places, both in St. Petersburg and in, in Moscow. Uh, and so I was using it and I was operating and, and I remember going to St. Petersburg train station to, to buy a ticket to go to Viberg where I had a link member that I was going to meet up with. And 
and again, buying a ticket. I know how to ask to buy a ticket. I know how to. I knew how to tell her where I wanted to go. But of course, she said something that I hadn't anticipated, so I was kind of thrown by that. But eventually, I was able to get across what it is that I wanted, and I got my ticket, and that was good. So those 12 days in Russia helped my Russian a lot. So after Russian, it was Czech. So I worked on my Czech, did a lot of listening, Tolki, Chesko, Minulosti, and other great material on Czeski Roslas. And then I had a tutor online. In fact, I had two online tutors, and I deliberately set up with them that every day, first thing in the morning, I jumped on a tram. I went to see the one tutor, Andre, and we were there, spoke for an hour, and then I had another tutor in the afternoon. So that gave me sort of additional, because you can't just approach random people. I do that, I did that. I sat in a restaurant, there was these two middle-aged ladies and I kind of struck up a conversation, but it, it, there's a limit to how much of that you can do. Uh, I also had some friends that I could meet up with in Prague. So I kind of had between my, my two tutors and being a little brazen about speaking to people, I did create some speaking opportunities. And of course I could read the newspaper and I could, uh, if I'm listening or watching television, I would have enough check to take advantage of that as an immersion environment. Uh, so that was Prague, I set that up. Uh, when I went to uh, Lviv, I had an online tutor and I set up with her that uh, we would meet every morning. So this is actually a phenomenal thing to do if you can do it in any city that you want to meet or, or visit. Uh, Solomia was an excellent tutor. And so she would meet me first thing in the morning for coffee at nine o'clock at this cafe in the, uh, the square there. Uh, and we would speak. And then we'd go tour. We'd go tour a church or a cathedral or if, you know, there was a famous historical cemetery or whatever it is we visited for five days three hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon, she had her iPhone or Android, whatever she had, and she would write down all of the words and phrases that I had trouble with. I'd go back to my little room at noon and I'd get her email, which I would import in the link and I would study those words and phrases and we'd go back at it again in the afternoon. And I did that for five days. So I had a guide and a teacher, and not only a teacher, but a person who was giving me the words and phrases that I struggled with so that I could then learn them again on link. And I think I can imagine, you know, I tried to do that when I went to Kiev, I couldn't find anyone. But if you can have a guide like that, who's also a language teacher, I think that's another great way to, you know, make that immersion opportunity in the country even more effective. And then the second time I went to Ukraine, uh, I had people that I was meeting both in Eastern Ukraine and Western Ukraine so I was in situations where I was speaking Russian and Ukrainian a lot. So again there, because there were people in place that were going to help make that immersion experience, you know, genuinely valuable. And, and I think I often hear people say, well, you know, I went to Germany and people only spoke to me in English. And, and of course, this is going to depend on which country you go to. Uh, in Romania, that's less of a problem, although the English level is not bad there. But if you go to Germany or Holland, a lot of people speak English. So you have to have a fairly strong level in the language. Otherwise, people are not necessarily going to humor you. People don't want to be your language teacher. People have things to do. If you go into a store and they sense that you don't communicate very well in Dutch or German, they will speak to you in English. Most people. Some people may humor you, but you can't expect it. So I've always taken the approach that if I travel to a country 
this just to summarize this sort of rant here, uh, I should want you to be realistic about how much you're going to benefit if you don't have a sufficient level in the language. Even if you have a sufficient level, it's worthwhile trying to set up people you can talk to. Uh, and as, as I did in, in Lviv. And someone said, by the way, as a comment on one of my YouTube videos where I was not so positive on language schools. And this person said, well, you were very positive about your experience at the Lviv Language and Cultural Center, a language school in Lviv. And of course I was, because Solomia accommodated my way of learning. I don't think I would have been as happy just sitting in a classroom for six hours a day. So we got to make sure that we structure that time in the, say, theoretically, the immersion environment in a way that works for you. So for some people, it might mean going to school because you'll meet people and the teachers will certainly speak to you in the target language and maybe some of the other learners will. So that's also a matter of, of how you structure it for yourself. But there has to be some planning put into it. You can't just go there and assume that by being in the country, you're going to come away uh, fluent in the language. That has certainly not been my experience. So I hope that's useful on this whole subject of immersion and traveling to the country where the language is spoken.